I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the show. I'm just back from Australia. So we will be resuming publishing schedule with Spit and The Grit. I have a stockpile of episodes recorded in Australia, which will be rolling out in the coming months. Today's show is actually not in my recording schedule when I was on the ground in Australia, but it happens spontaneously. I was at the Visla Sydney Surf Pro, and Wes Berg casually introduced me to today's guest, Brett Canellan. And not as a potential podcast guest, but just as a, hey, David, meet Brett, Brett, meet David. And as we started chatting, Brett was telling me that he was potentially going to be doing some small QS events this year, but mentioned that he was on a long path of recovery from an injury. So, of course, I inquired about the injury, and it turns out that he had survived a great white shark attack. As he told me a story, I realized that I had seen it reported in the news two years ago, a year and a half ago or so, and how incredible it was that Brett survived, but also just how harrowing the details of that specific attack were. It turns out that Brett has been doing some public speaking, telling his story, so I felt comfortable asking him to be a guest on the podcast and to retell the vivid details here. So prepare yourself. The story is insane. I mean, the attack story itself is insanely dramatic, but also Brett's perspective, how he processed the attack, and his journey through recovery are all equally profound. I think there are countless insights here to be gleaned for how to remain calm and pragmatic when facing a life-threatening confrontation, shark attack or otherwise, and then also just how to leverage a trauma to empower growth. And then there's some interesting stuff about how to meaningfully connect with loved ones. This is Brett Canellan, ladies and gentlemen, and I am David Scales for Surf Splendor. I really hope that you enjoy our conversation. I was actually in a really, really good place in, in my life. I had just come off a, a couple of results um, surfing for my board riders club um, where we'd, we'd done really well. We'd won a regional qualifier and ended up surfing in the board riders battle, um, which at the time was a new and a really sort of big contest in Australia. Um, and we ended up finishing sixth in that. And I've, our, our board riders club's quite a small club and for us to achieve that was huge. So I was kind of on a, a really big high and surfing for, I suppose for, for me at a, a pretty high level, um, I began to get aspirations of wanting to compete a little bit more and um, had actually decided at that point that I wanted to chase a QS and, and do a few events um, at that point, just the Australian leg and see how I went. Um, so I'd, I'd actually got into contact with um, one of my trainers and said, I, I want to do this, I want to get stronger, let's let's do it. So I'd, I'd been working for probably two months at, at getting um, stronger and getting better and just trying to improve myself all around to, to kind of have a, a decent crack at it. Um, so that's kind of where I was with my surfing. Um, I've always been in and around surfing, like I... Um, from from a young age just surfing in, in board riders events locally and, and had kind of progressed into just working in surf shops and owning my own surf school and, and stuff like that. So I've always been in and around it and um, I'd actually been working for DP Surfboards who's been shaping my boards for the last seven years, I think. Um, so I've been managing his shop and the day it happened actually, that, that morning our shop got broken into um 
So I'd spent all day basically cleaning glass out of carpets and, and clothes and talking to police and trying to figure out what had, what had happened. And um, I'd actually gone home from, from work that day kind of frustrated and um, really just wanted to unwind. So I'd got home and um, kind of said, yeah, I'll go for a surf. That'll kind of fix everything. And called my friend Joel, who was my filmer at the time, and um, he is one of the, like, probably least reliable people that I know. Um, <laughs> there's so many times where I call him to go for a surf and um, he'll either just not show up or, like, not sure if he's surfing or filming or, or, or anything like that. So I think a lot of people have said if I ever end up writing a, a book, I'd have to have the first chapter just about all the times that he's been late to things. Um, there's all, all my friends always say that um, every time that he basically is late, it's always honestly because he's hanging his washing out always that's, so <laughs> that's the same excuse he gives no that's what. that's it so he probably has the cleanest wardrobe in australia <laughs> um you're gonna find out later that's actually what he does for a living yeah he's, probably he's, his second job <laughs> the whole neighborhood's laundry yeah that's it it seems like it the amount he's, he's late so um so yeah i'd called joel to to go for a surf and um i'd been out there for about 30 minutes um it was a super fun little left-hander at bombo beach which is the beach where i surf pretty much every day um which is down in kaima um so i'd been surfing for about 30 minutes um and i looked back to the beach and actually saw joel and i was like oh he's actually showed up today that's pretty cool and he'd actually brought his girlfriend aggie as well um which which was odd because Aggie doesn't usually come down and watch, but she is, I suppose, just coming down to enjoy the afternoon. Um, so, yeah, I was surfing for a little bit with Joel, had a bit of a chat, and um, it was late-ish. It was like quarter to seven, which at that time of year is not right on dusk, but the sun was, I suppose, starting to set. It was actually a really, really nice time of the afternoon. Um, I remember actually looking back at the sunset and thinking oh it's actually a really nice afternoon today actually despite having the shop being broken into and everything it hasn't been too bad like looking back on it and um had only sat there for a few minutes after that when i got hit by a train basically um hit so hard from my right side and had no idea what was going on um so you're sitting looking out the back waiting for wave yeah just yeah just sitting there minding my own business pretty pretty oblivious to everything kind of just um got to that point where i was like okay today's all right and then bam um so without knowing what had gone on i'd been knocked off my board and um, kind of looked around to see what had happened and, and looked down to see that a shark was actually biting my leg. Um, wow. And that's where time really kind of froze and really slowed down. Um, I had time to, to really process what was going on. And my first thought at the time um, was, why at this beach of all places? I've surfed my entire life um around Kiama and have never seen a shark and I've spent a lot of time surfing in South Australia um and always surfing by myself down there as well and that's known for for having many sharks down there and I thought of all places for it to happen like why in my own backyard basically um and that that was the first thought I had which I think was a bit of an odd one looking back on it but um, I probably should have reacted to what was going on in front of me, but there's not much you can do in a situation like that. Um, at that point, it was kind of throwing me around, not pulling me underwater, but just I made the mistake of trying to pull away from it, and that's when a shark does a lot of its damage is um, when it's actually latched onto your flesh and you pull away from it. Um, and I've heard this said many times is... Um, as a human, when you get bit by, bitten by a shark, it's just unfortunate that we're so fragile that any move that we make is probably going to damage us. Um, so as I pulled away, it's actually pulled off a large chunk of my leg. Um, okay. So so when you look down, you said you looked down to your right and there was a shark on your leg. Was How large was the shark? Could you just see its head? Was it... I could just say it's head at that point. Um, okay, so it's large. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really 
take the time to figure out what size it was or, or anything like that. Um, I do remember looking at it in, in its eye and it was such a dark black colour. Like it had no no character to it, no no anything. Like it was such a, um, a vivid image I have of just looking at the shark in the eye and it kind of felt like it was almost almost like saying i'm sorry but this is what i do i'm a shark i'm doing sharky stuff like (laughs) it was unapologetic but it was it was deep like it was kind of a a weird little connection looking at it in the eye and um i think that's that's definitely an, an, an image that sticks with me is is that that feeling of um knowing a shark's doing sharky shit in front of you and you can't do anything about it like um that's they that that point really gave me a lot of respect for sharks and they are incredible at at what they do there's a reason they've been around for so many millions of years is because they're incredible hunters like a lot of people say you know if you if you see a shark at a beach that it's a bad thing but the bad thing's when you don't see them Mm. um because that's what they want to do yeah. if, if they're um, if they're hunting. That that moment of making eye contact um, does it feel traumatic? Um, not so much. I like I, I kind of break down my whole experience, and none of it is really traumatic to me. Um, I'd thought a lot of times um, as a surfer, you know, the sharks in the ocean, and I've always thought to myself, what would I do if I got bitten by a shark and um i think just being able to think about it beforehand kind of prepared me for it a little bit so i don't find any of it traumatic so much um but it's it's all parts of the story i suppose that that i recognize and and i can kind of identify with and it's i think it's a good thing that i can remember everything because if there were gaps that i couldn't remember then I think that's when you would probably become a little bit more traumatized by it. They might bubble up in the future or something. Like yeah, you're kind or you of could, down the yeah, you could have flashbacks or something like that, which which I don't have because I can remember it all. So it does, nothing really takes me by surprise. It's, I mean, really, really interesting <clears throat> to hear you talk about it and kind of understand your place in the food chain. Yeah, and that Definitely. because you hear hunters talking about killing a deer or something but then going and like having a little um communion with the deer you know either after the deer's died or whatever an understanding of just we're all in this food chain together yeah and this is part of the life cycle and yeah it's interesting to hear it from your point of view that's i think that's one of the things that why a lot of people find sharks and shark attacks so compelling is as humans we've pretty much escaped that food chain um as the prey yeah that's it um and a lot of people don't know what it's like to be a part of it like it's such a primitive feeling um knowing that you're you're helpless and it's something that goes on every single day um you know you've got predator and and prey and everything in between and we just are pretty oblivious to that as humans um and i think a lot of people don't really understand what that's like and i think like I said, that's why a lot of people do find it so compelling. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you look down. He's on your leg. Yeah. You pull away. Yeah. <clears throat> and after that, I basically try and try and hold him off for a little bit. There's a lot of thoughts that go through your head. It's like, do I try and punch it? Have, have you ever tried to punch through water? It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> totally. You think, should I poke it in the eyes? Yeah. But at the same time... Um, you've got all these thoughts and, and emotions that are going through your head. I, at the time, I was calling for help, and um, Joel was probably about 100 metres down the beach. Um, we were surfing 200 metres away from everybody, so I was pretty isolated. So I was holding it off, and then a wave came, and it lifted it lifted us both up to the top of the wave, and that's when it let me go. And I thought, okay, I need to swim in to the beach like i have no other choice like without your board i didn't have my board so when it hit me the the initial time it actually um severed through my leg rope um it didn't touch my board at all there's not a ding on it um but if you look at my leg rope finally you can see it's serrated teeth marks through it um so i started swimming straight towards shore look over my shoulder um to see if there's any waves coming and i see the shark coming back at me um a second time which I think, okay, here we go again. What do I do here? Um, At this point, 
where did you feel you were kind of in a <clears throat> on the spectrum of surviving? Like, did you feel like I'm going to make it through this if he doesn't attack again? Or are you even processing that? I didn't process that okay. at all. Um, <clears throat> that's where it all comes down to instinct. Got my it. instinct was to put my hands out and try and stop it. Like, okay. you're not going to try and cough it. Got it. A huge shark coming at you. So I, I put my hands out and try and stop it. And one of my hands lands on its nose and the other one slips into its mouth, snags itself on, on its teeth. I, I lose a bit of flesh off um, the palm of my hand and get a couple of cuts down my wrist, which are um, kind of cool scars to have. They're pretty significant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and So it goes into his mouth, but he doesn't chomp. Doesn't doesn't bite down. I, I managed to get it out just in time. Um and then basically I'm trying to hold it at arm's length. Um, and that was when I really got the feel for how much power a shark has because it was pushing me through the water to back towards the beach. Um, and it was only for a couple of seconds before that next wave came and, and it kind of threw us apart underwater and it bumped me one more time underwater. Um, and then I didn't i was like i hope it's not coming back again <laughs> yeah it's like twice is enough and at that time i could stand up on the sandbank um and i'd looked up and joel was basically to where i am like on the sandbank he swimming straight towards me paddling straight towards me and i think that's a huge testament to, to joel's character um he to, to be able to swim towards somebody in danger when you know the danger is there i think is um I, I don't know many people that would be able to, to do that. Um, it's one of those things where, for myself, I'd like to think I would be able to, to do that, but you don't know until you get thrown in that situation. Um, and when you spoke to him, he was fully aware that it was a shark attack? Yes, okay. I, I believe so, because the first thing he asked me was, how bad is it? Got it. Um, and I just said, it's not good. And he goes, okay, we need to get to the beach. And he, he puts me on his board um, and tries to swim me to beach we're probably i'm going to say about 75 meters off the beach at the time um so puts me on the board we get a couple of ways that push us in and then we get stuck in a rip um which is the most inconvenient thing to happen at that time um we get stuck in the rip for a little bit and then we finally get to, to shore um at that point i i could not move like I, i'd lost all my strength um i basically was was dead weight at that point i could only talk and tell them what i was feeling so they they dragged me up on the beach um basically laying where the waves are, are kind of washing up against my body and i can feel without looking at, at my leg i can feel when the waves are washing over it basically my skin kind of moving to one side and, and moving back which is a weird thing to feel and try and tell yourself not to look at yeah um so I, I'd already at that point decided that I don't want to know what, what's going on down there. Um, so I remembered that basically from um, hearing Bethany Hamilton's story um, years and years before, but her saying that she was super calm at the time and decided not to, to look and, and know what it was like. She just knew that she had to get to the beach and, and go from there. So that was something I can uh, say thanks to her for, is teach me how to be calm in a situation like that. Um, so I get got dragged up the beach and um, Joel had called for his, his girlfriend who not only am I lucky that she was on the beach at that time because she doesn't often come down and watch Joel surf, but she's an intensive care nurse. Um, so there's another person on the beach that they call over. They're a nurse as well. So at that time I have two nurses and, and Joel who's just pulled me into the beach to, to help me. And Joel makes a, a tourniquet out of my leg rope ties it up um, around basically as high as you can go on my leg because the, the wound goes quite high. Um, so it's right up around my groin. Um, and the at that point, all the other people that were surfing, there were probably about 20 people surfing further up the beach had realised what was going on and people were coming up to, to where I was. And there's that feeling... I don't know if you've had it before, but whenever you get injured and you can feel all the people crowding around you. <laughs> yeah, I've had a car crash. For yeah, that, I, I hate that feeling. I remember when I was, I reckon, I was probably like 14 in, in school and um, it got hurt playing um, football. And it took me back to that because I'd broke, broke my collarbone and just remember having all these school kids crowding over me and it felt like that again, just having all these people looking over you, wondering what was going on. And I was pretty pretty conscious at that time to um, 
I'd actually seen one of my friends, Geordie, who I hadn't seen in a while. He was there and had the um, peace of mind to be like, oh, hey, Geordie, how's it going? Which um, I think is probably a good thing for my mental state at the time. Um, I'd had a feeling a little, like as I got to the beach, um, I kind of had a moment as Joel was running to get his girlfriend, I had that moment to myself where I thought, um, okay, this is pretty serious. And then I thought to myself, is this what it feels like to die? Because I'd, I'd known I'd lost quite a lot of blood and, and it was serious. Um, and I, I had a moment to reflect on that by myself because I was laying there by myself and felt quite helpless. And I decided at that point that it didn't feel right. Um, so the feeling that you identified, was it the serenity? Yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, it was kind of that feeling of everything's out of my hands. Um, I suppose it, it all comes down to luck and, and what these people um, can, can do to try and save me. And I thought it doesn't feel right for, for my life to end here. So I think that comes um, into play, like when I see Geordie and I can be like, hey, how's it going? I'm pretty calm about it because I feel like everything's going to be okay, whether okay. that's true or not. But I think that did wonders for me because I am really not only conscious in, in um, staying calm and everything like that, but um, I think it probably just slowed me down and, and allowed me to, to breathe, which is the main thing. Um, and, I mean, honestly, that serenity reduces blood flow too. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. So I think that really helped me as well. Um, I, was, I was able to talk to people and um, remember my mum's phone number on the beach, which was I hadn't remembered since I was about 12 years old. So um, Wow. Yeah, so there was, there was things like that where I think just being really present um, in my mind was, was a really good thing to have. Um, so had had three leg ropes tied around my leg and two wetsuit tops um, just by people on the beach and I actually had to buy new wetsuit tops for the people who donated theirs kindly. Um, so the ambulance had come down next. Um, my family had got down to the beach. Um, I remember when my mum and dad got there, uh, they both got there at the same time and mum was the first one that came up to me and she was surprisingly calm about it all considering that um, what I found out later was when dad first saw me, he's actually in fire and rescue and has seen a lot of things when it comes to um, traumatic events and, and um, having people with with major injuries and stuff like that and he said I was basically the colour that people go before they die. So I'd come very close to death without realising it. Um, and I think for mum to stay calm through all that was was um, pretty pretty big on her part. Um, I've always said to other people I'd much rather be um, much rather be in that situation as the victim than someone who's a bystander or a family member. Um, I think it's such a traumatic thing to go through. Um, especially getting that phone call um, of, you know, your son's been bitten by a shark, you need to come down to the beach now, um, and not knowing if you're going to get a chance to get there on time. Um, so mum and dad rocked up and then they basically said, we're, we're going to pump you full of um, morphine and ketamine and um, get you on a helicopter and take you to hospital. So the last thing that I remember is getting in the helicopter being like, cool, a helicopter, because <laughs> obviously all the ketamine had kicked in at that point. Um, and it, that was something I kept saying was, oh, sick, I'm, I'm on a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was, that was my last memory of being present there. I actually, when I was on the helicopter and um, and on my way to hospital because of the, ke the ketamine, which is going to cause... Um, a hallucinogenic experience I'd actually dreamt about getting to hospital and then basically starting and going through my entire recovery so I'd woken up in hospital after going through that whole recovery and been like oh, I'm back at square one mm. <laughs> um, was it um, as you lived out the recovery not to spoil the ending but yeah. was it a premonition yeah. that was actually accurate yeah very accurate no um, way yeah which, which I think is, is crazy, but it was one of the things that kept me really positive through my whole recovery is knowing that I suppose I'd already been through it once <laughs> one more time. It's not going to 
not going to be a huge issue. Trippy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was super weird. And that's one thing I didn't realise until a little while after um, is just remembering that I had that dream because, um, like, I was still in hospital. I hadn't started my rehab when I remembered it all, but I was like, okay, I've already been through this. So, um, so yeah, I woke up in hospital. Um, I'd been in an induced coma for 24 hours. Um, while I was in the coma, they'd take me into the operating theatre and basically just cleaned out all the sand that was in my wound and, and had a look at what they can do. So when I woke up, the first thing I did was um, my mum came in the room and I was trying to, I was drawing, um, like writing in the air, um, little DP, which is um, the, the shop I work for. I was trying to tell him I couldn't come into work, not knowing that he'd already found out about it, obviously. You're so responsible, man. Yeah, I like to think so. <laughs> Calling in sick while while just coming out of a coma, um, which is funny. But um, so I, I had a chance to talk to mum and mum and dad first thing, which was basically just making sure that I was all right. And um, they'd said basically they're going to monitor me in intensive care for a couple of days and see how I progress. And um, they would have to take me into the theatre again to wash out more sand and have another observation they said they've never seen so much sand in a wound um ever (laughs) (laughs) which um is pretty amazing that i didn't get any infections from it um which means i suppose they cleaned it out pretty good but um so that was two days after i got into hospital um in as as all that was going on i'd had plenty of people come and visit me um the waiting room was full of of people that um like all, all my best friends, my family, um, everybody that, like all my immediate best friends, and then a, a lot of people I, I didn't expect either. Um, what really hit me was when I first got my phone, so that was like three or four days in, um, got my phone and I had hundreds and hundreds of messages. Um, and that was the most emotional I got about the whole situation um, was, was basically so many people that I didn't expect that were obviously clearly um i suppose touched by the the fact that something had happened to me and that, that it's so close to home and part of that just comes from living in a small community um i always say to people you don't realize how many friends you've got until something bad happens yeah. um and this one one um, lesson i try and teach a lot of people is that you don't have to almost die to realize that um, you've always got friends and, and people that care about you um, and that's just something you have to think about if you're, you're in a bad place in life is there's plenty of people that care um, it's not just you versus the world there's so many people that are on your side so yeah getting my phone for the first time was, was tough and um, on top of that there'd been quite a lot go through social media um, okay. so there was some of my heroes, like Kelly Slater and Mick Fanning, um, so many guys that were um, posting photos of me, giving me, sending me well wishes, and that was such a spin out because I never thought that, um, you know, I, I suppose something like this really speaks volumes of what the surf community is like as far as how, how close and how everyone's kind of in it for, for the one thing, which is the love of surfing. and doesn't matter who you are or where you're from um i suppose just having that connection is is huge and something that it's it's the reason why we all surf is that that community part of it it's a selfish sport but it's a it, it's a community that you you participate in and everyone does care about everyone you see it all the time anytime something bad happens or even anytime something good happens it spreads really quickly through this small community mm-hmm. um and there's always a lot of support um, like you, you always come across, um, I suppose you'd see it all the time with, um, like whenever if you're covering events or something like that. Anytime there's there's a, a result that people don't like, you, you always see the bad side of stuff. But it takes something to to really realise that there's a, a great side to that surf community that you, you didn't know really existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that whole support for me was was massive. Um, at, at that point, when I'd realised all of that, I kind of said that I want to really do my best to try and get as close to, I suppose, I won't say as close to as good as what I could have been because that's a bad way of wording it. But I wanted to get better for for those people that had sent me 
those words of support because it meant so much to me at the time. Um, and I didn't know at the time how how much better I could have gotten if I could walk again, um, you know, if I had to be wearing a brace for the rest of my life. Um, at that point, I had no idea. So, um, But I just decided that I wanted to get better for these people that had, that had wished me well. Um, so It's an important note yeah. for people who... Um, are surrounding somebody else who got injured moving forward is that those well wishes mean that much they're huge they're huge um it's it, even when it's it can be when there's an event that goes down where people need support or it might just be every day just yeah. just saying hi to people and smiling goes a long way it really and that's does. something i've realized as as a result of my whole incident is it doesn't take much to be a good person it doesn't take much to send someone a message and just say hey you hope you're gonna have a good day well <laughs> you never like you never know um what somebody's going through on a given day yeah i mean it, it could literally be their lowest point in their life and you're just passing them on the street and yeah. you have a choice to either smile at them or not yeah when you're hiring for a small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role and there's no faster or effective way than through linkedin jobs your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore dealmaking across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I was talking to somebody last night at dinner. Um, it's not worth mentioning their name, but kind of qual used to be on the CT got didn't requalify when they were on and so now they're kind of trying to do some qs's all that sort of stuff and he said that he received a message from somebody who went through the exact same thing but has requalified for the ct and is on the ct now they're not friends obviously they know who one another are and the guy who is requalified randomly sent a message to the guy who's kind of struggling to figure it out and just said hey dude you're too good of a surfer to not requalify, like, what do you want this year? How are you going to get it? What can I do to help? They don't know each other other than just on the periphery. And he said receiving that message really validated. He was like considering taking jobs in the industry and that sort of stuff. And the message came out of the blue and it made made a huge difference for him. Yeah, that's super, super cool. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that shows a lot. Like, And that, that can come from, you know, top surfers. It can come from regular surfers or anyone really if like it's almost more meaningful when it's a stranger exactly yeah. yeah that's so i think we all everybody no matter where you're at people just want to feel validated exactly they want their existence validated they want their hard work to be validated yeah and if you can give that to somebody yeah that's it and it doesn't take time or effort to do so which is really does which is cool um so yeah i think that was huge for me that was definitely a, a major point in my recovery where I mean, it was, it was early on that I realized it, and I think that was good because it let me really set a plan for what I wanted to do, um, which at that time I hadn't had my major operation. That, had, that was two days after I'd looked at my phone. So at that time they were still talking about amputating my leg. Um, there was the option of either amputating it or, or trying to do 
um, some sort of operation which had only been done once before, which um, they did quite a lot of research in and they basically mum said they're not amputating <laughs> my son's leg. Wow. Um, do the operation <laughs> and um, what they ended up doing. So the, the third and final operation that I had was on my birthday. So it was a good birthday present to um, spend eight hours <laughs> getting operated on. And what they did was they t- took my, my lat muscle from, from the left side of my back and implanted that into my my leg. So in in that space where I'd lost three quarters of my quad from um, from this shark bite, it was just bone. So they had to cover that with the lat, and that's basically the only muscle long enough to, to do that job. Um, they said at the time, it's not going to be... It's not going to be strong enough. They've connected a nerve. They don't know if that's going to work or not. It's one of those things where they'll, they'll do it, and if it works, then great. If not, then at least you're not going to get um, bone infection and have to get an amputator further down the line. Okay. So they'd done all they could do to help me keep my leg, um, which was basically just make sure there's still blood going through it and, um, and cover the bone. And then they said, anything from here is a bonus. And I was like, okay, cool. And you can live without the lat muscle in your... Yeah, so um, it's funny. They say we we usually wouldn't take the lat muscle from a surfer because that's what you need to paddle. Um, the, there are other muscles, um, which are basically ones higher up under, underneath the, the back of your shoulder, which can do the same job. They're just not quite as strong. Got it. Um, so they were said, for this situation, we don't really have another option. There's no other muscle that we can use. Despite my dad saying, I'll give him my lat, uh, my quad. <laughs> they didn't, they wouldn't take that? No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they, they moved the lat um, from my back in, into my leg and had done a bunch of skin grafts. So they took skin from my uh, my calf, the back of my leg and my hip um, to, to try and cover that whole area and, and make some new skin, um, which is... When I woke up from that, I thought, okay, cool. The, the operations are done now. We can concentrate on, on recovering. So I was in, in hospital for another three weeks um, before they allowed me to get up on my feet for the first time. Um, and when they got me up on my feet for the first time, obviously from laying down for so long, I got dizzy and pretty much fainted straight away. Wow. Um, and then after that, I thought, okay, I need to think about this. Let's do it slow enough so I can get onto my feet and not faint. But I want to do this today because at the time they're like, oh, we might not be able to do it today. We'll have to come back tomorrow. I was like, okay, no, we didn't need to do it today. So um, got up and walked around a little bit, just shuffling on like a, a big frame basically, which I'd just leaned against and wasn't putting weight through that leg, but it was just getting me up and moving. Um, so... Uh, after they got me up and, and moving a little bit, they sent me to the rehab ward where I spent a week basically every day from, from when I woke up in the morning and could get up, I would get on the frame and just do laps around the ward. So I'd just walk as much as I could and then they had designated um, physio sessions where they'd get me to basically start strengthening my arms and my upper body. Um, I'd had quite a bit of atrophy through my arms, so I couldn't open like the lid to yogurt containers um, I'd gotten so weak and I'd lost I think I lost 11 kilos so when I left hospital I weighed 53 kilos which is nothing yeah <laughs> I weighed nothing to begin with and I weighed even less um, so I spent a week in rehab walking around because they said basically when you can walk on crutches and and you can start moving around by yourself then you can you can go home so I was like, okay, I'm going to try and make this as quick as possible because hospital's not a good place to spend time. Right. Um, and that, that paid off. So I was in, in rehab for a week and then they told me I could go home, which was one of the best things that, that I can sort of almost remember from the whole experience is being able to leave hospital. Sure. Um, going back home was a trip because I hadn't, I'd been away for five weeks all up, um, which isn't a huge amount of time, but um, obviously given what had gone on, I, um, everyone obviously knew about it in a small town. So, um, the first day I got back, I just walked down the street and it took me hours, (laughs) Really, everybody coming to, coming to chat. And, um, the good thing was I got free coffee for like the next couple of weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so just integrating back into home was cool. Like I spent plenty of time talking to people and, and again, you get those people coming up to you on the street saying, Hey man, I'm like 
glad you're alive. Um, hope you're doing well. Good luck with the recovery. And like for me, you get to hear that and you're like, okay, sick. Now I want to get into recovery. Yeah. Um, was lucky enough that um, Joel's one of the Joel's good school friends, um, Scott Mutton, is a physio in Kiama, um, and he'd reached out to me and said, "I want to help you get better. Um, come in and see me as soon as you can, and we'll see where we can go as far as rehab rehab goes." So um, I'd left hospital just with a straight leg cast on my leg. I couldn't bend it at all. Okay. Um, I could put weight through it at the time, but um, basically they'd said we still wanted to recover because it still had a wound. Um, so I went went to physio for the first time and Scott got a whiteboard out and he goes, okay, what um what are our goals? I go, okay. Um, he goes, the first one, he, he said the first one, he goes, your first one's going to have to be driving because your mum can't drive you everywhere. Like, okay, fair enough. Um, the second one was... Um, being able to go back to work and the third one was being able to surf again um so to be able to drive i needed to bend my knee a little bit more um to be able to work i needed to be out of a brace and a bit more mobile and to surf i needed to be stronger um all of those relied on basically my leg healing he goes okay we can't do much today but you've got an upper body that's perfectly fine let's start working from from that day basically um, and having that motivation from Scott and someone that can set out a clear plan with goals um, kind of really kicked me in that direction of, of recovery. That's, that's where it really sort of began was that first physio session. There's a photo of me um, fresh out of hospital with my cast on um, trying to do pull-ups on the rings for the first time, obviously like from not being able to open a yoga, a yoga lid and then trying to do pull-ups. It was, it was tough, but that, that first session was awesome. That gave me so much fire to, to try and get better further down the track. Um, so I started going to physio four days a week, um, just catching up with Scott. And um, we kind of progressed as we went. I went from my straight leg brace into a different straight leg brace, which um, just allowed me to move around a little bit more. It was a little bit lighter. Um, and then they moved me into one that could start bending a little bit more. That was about three months further down the track from, from the actual incident. Um, so they started me off with like 15 degrees of, of knee bend, which is nothing. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, and they said, this is all we can start with. 15 degrees isn't much, but it takes a lot to get used to. Um, there's another great photo of, of me basically trying to do a 15 degree squat, which is basically just standing and then yeah. sticking your butt out a bit <laughs> and standing up again. Um, so that, that's kind of where that started. And they, they increased my knee bend over the next sort of month and a half, two months, um, to the point where I could almost bend it freely. And um, I'd had a follow-up with my surgeon and he'd said, we still won't know if that muscle in your leg will work until sort of 12 months down the track. Um, but keep going with the rehab, see what happens. If you can get the mobility back and you can get back to everyday life, that'll be, that'll be awesome. So, um, so that was that was interesting. Still not not knowing that that was actually going to get better, but I felt like because I was you know progressing every single day and every week, is that I was like, okay, I'm getting heaps better. Yeah. And then you go and see the the doctor, and they're like, well, we're not sure yet. So, I kind of kept going with it. That's that's a little bit of a mental setback, but. Um, if anything, it kind of just made me be like, well, they thought I'd be in a wheelchair. I wouldn't yeah. be walking. So if I can do this, then I can, you know, I can run again. I can surf again. So probably a little desire to just defy them. No exactly. Yeah. yeah. So got to five months post bite. Um, I was at physio one day and um, they have a gym set up in there and Scott was working on a patient and I was just doing my, um, my routine and um, Scott had just said, lay down on the ground and see if you can stand up. And I was like, okay. And then laid down, tried to stand up, was pretty wobbly. He goes, yeah, I reckon you could probably go for a surf this afternoon. I was like, what? I was like, what? <laughs> you kidding? He was like, no, I reckon see if you can get a, a big enough board and, and then get in the water. It'll make you feel better than ever. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and I called my friend Nick, who I've surfed with every single day pretty much since I really got into surfing. Um, he spent he came up and saw me in the hospital every second day um even if he was working um he just made a mission to come up and see me and um he was kind of with me through the entire process and 
I'd called him and said, oh, do you want to go for a surf this afternoon? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And he's like, wait, surf? I was like, yeah. Uh, Scott said, it's all right, I can go in the water. He's like, sick, I'll, I'll get a board for you, we'll, we'll go. And um, went down to Jeroa because that's just a nice cruisy rolling wave and um, had just went down there with myself, Nick, my mum, my housemate, Jerry, and my dog, and um, just had a surf. The waves were only like one foot, it was kind of on shore, but by far the best surf I've ever had in my life. Like that, I got it tattooed on me the first wave I got back. Oh, yeah. That there, so. um, Like that's how much it meant to me. Like just being able to get back in the water five months after um, such such a serious incident and knowing that all that hard work can can pay off like that um was was huge for me like it's um i think it really has set how i am as a person now knowing knowing that i'm capable of doing that um i kind of figured that i'm capable of doing almost anything now um anything that i set goals and set my mind to i can i can do to the best of my ability um whether that just be continuing to get better, which I still am improving day to day, even three years later, I'm still improving um, on where I was. Still wouldn't consider myself 100% better, um, but I'm probably surfing at like, I suppose, 85, 90% of what I, what I used to. Um, wow. So still, still improving, but um, that's, that's the thing. I've set myself those goals and I do want to keep getting better and I want to get back into doing comps and, and um, having another crack. With that first experience, uh, the very first surf back in the water, yeah. how much um, concern did you have or how much like lingering trauma did you have about the shark attack itself? I would say next to none. Um, really? Yeah. So I think that is very odd or unusual. So... The place where I chose to surf, um, Seven Mile Beach down at Jaroa, um, I'd spent a lot of time surf coaching down there, um, kind of from, that was my first job was surf coaching there and I'd always told the tourists that had come and surf that there's no such thing as sharks that don't come into the bay here. So I had that going for me that okay. I'd always told people that, that there's no sharks there. Which Well, you told them to alleviate their concern. Exactly. Is that a true statement? No, it's not a true statement. This is, there's oceans in, there's sharks in the ocean. Exactly. <laughs> the ocean's full of sharks. Exactly. Um, but I think that, that kind of set me at ease a little bit. Um, not only that, but I think knowing that you've been through that once, you think, what are the chances of it happening, <laughs> happening again? Okay. Um, that's, that's another thing that, uh, and it's one of the main things that people say to me. They go, oh, what are the chances of it happening twice? You'll be fine. <laughs> so that is all very rational. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. But this is a unique situation Definitely. where rationality probably doesn't, people will still be afraid. The yeah. trauma would supersede the rationality yeah, for would, most people. It would for a lot of people. And um, there's a lot of people who have gone through um, shark attacks that w- that have come out of it completely different to, to what I have. I think exactly. the, the main thing for me is that I'd thought about how would I deal with it beforehand? Um, like how, how would I deal with it if I did get bitten? And part of that plan was that I would definitely surf again. So I think just knowing that I'd committed myself to basically surfing again means that I have no choice to be frightened of sharks. Like it's it's one of those things as a as a surfer, most surfers do recognise that you surf with sharks in the ocean. Um, but for for me, I think it's like you know they're out there, but I don't think there's any point being afraid of them. Um, there's other way more things to be afraid of in the world that, the, that's the way I rank things um, and I know there's the whole going through the traumatic experience part and how that can weigh on it but I think just how I am as a person I see logic rather than emotions <laughs> a lot of the times when it comes to that um, so the plan of action though for the worst case scenario was kind of your roadmap out exactly yeah your defense against yeah the trauma. yeah for sure um, I think that's a good way of putting it already predetermined that I wouldn't let it affect me. And that that would be the same as anything. I tell a lot of people that um, I could have got bitten by a shark or I could have got run over by a lawnmower. Um, They could have called me lawnmower boy. (laughs) 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 What happened to give me the injuries that I sustained 
is irrelevant and it's one of the main reasons I'm okay with talking about it in detail. Um, it doesn't affect me what happened. What, the important bit for me is, was the recovery um, and staying positive through that and telling yourself that you need to keep improving and you need to keep getting better. Um, so, so for me, I think that's just the way that, that I'd set it out for myself is, is that you know, anything could have happened, but it's about what you, how you respond to these little speed bumps in life. Sure. Little speed bumps little speed is bumps. how you refer to that. I would say so. <laughs> well, it's one thing to, um, like with your first surf out to kind of, it's, oh, sharks don't come into this bay and yeah. you just trick yourself into that mental state. But you and I, when we were introduced initially, it was through Wes Berg, and he said that you guys were sitting together at Margaret River when the WSL called off the event due to shark scares, basically. And you looked at Wes, and you're like, oh, I'm going to paddle out. And you did paddle out despite the WSL calling off an event. Yeah, I, um, I was lucky enough to spend a bit of time over in Western Australia last year. It's pretty beautiful over there. There's plenty of really fun waves. Um, I, there, there were those two really unfortunate incidents um, within 24 hours of each other. Um, the first one, I was actually surfing that wave the night before. Um, the, the first guy got bitten. And then um, the second one was as I was about to go out for a surf. Um, and that's when I'd seen Wes and um, they got the word that the comp had been called off. But that... I mean, for me, that, that attack had happened 30 k's down the coast. Um, regardless, uh, I think it's one of those things where I think the closeness of... I think this is the main thing with, with shark attacks and um, why they're so, I suppose, prevalent in a lot of people's minds these days is because word spreads so quickly about them, um, which, I mean, is a good thing. It was a good thing in my case because it meant I got a lot of support for it. Um, but it's a bad thing in the way that, I mean, 20 years ago, if, if you went down to the beach and you were surfing and you saw a shark, you'd tell yourself, the other people that were surfing there, and then probably whoever else you see that day. Whereas now, if you go and go for a surf and you see a shark, you have the ability to put it on social media. There's so many shark watch apps and, and notification systems that you can put it on now that if one person sees a shark, the whole state the whole country almost sees the shark. And then the press picks it up and runs a story. And Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, there's a lot of that, um, that, that ha which makes it more present in people's minds, um, knowing that it's all there. But um, I, I've always thought about that and thought that, obviously, if it was at that beach, I wouldn't have paddled out. But, um, yeah, for... I was going to surf anyway. I'm not going to sort of let that fear get in the way. I think for me it was more just a test of can I paddle out now? Okay. I hadn't been able to encounter a situation like that. Um, obviously I probably wouldn't have done it by myself. <laughs> That's why I was trying to get Wes to come out with me. <laughs> um, and I suppose he's just as brave for, for coming out. And there were, I mean, there were kids surfing out there okay. um, that hadn't heard of the event being called off. So it's all a, a bit about perspective there, but... Um, but yeah, I, I think it's still, it, it's one of those things where like sharks are scary for sure. Like there's no two doubts about that. They're a dinosaur, like dinosaurs are terrifying. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you know one of them are, are in the area, you're probably going to try and avoid it. But I think for me, just on that day, it was more just about circumstance. One of the most harrowing or terrifying uh, images that I have from you telling your story is after the initial bite when you're swimming in and you see it coming at you again and you holding it off, which I imagine is kind of by its nose. Yeah. So it's putting its full force towards you. You're holding it at arm's length, fending yeah. it off. Yeah. That is terrifying to me. <laughs> it's, I, yeah. I mean, it, I wouldn't say it was fun at the time, <laughs> but it's what I had to do. What um, an image. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like I said, for for me, that really gave me that appreciation of how powerful a shark is um, and gave me an appreciation for what they are as a species. Um, I've never advocated for culling of sharks. or um, I, I think they're amazing creatures, and I think that... Um, I've been a part of a government initiative in New South Wales um, 
for, for getting more research and, and more data on sharks. They have these listening stations where tag sharks, they can track their movements because I think that the more, the more we know about these, these magnificent creatures, the, the better. We still don't really know that much right. about them. What, I mean, what, it, um, what that kind of image impresses upon me is the survival instinct in human beings. Yeah. You know, like you would think all the fear would just render you disabled and you just give in to mother nature. But to think that survival instinct kicks in and you just go, well, you're bigger and stronger, but if I keep you at arm's length, you can't get your mouth around me. And you outwitted him in that yeah. moment, you know, yeah, in um, his territory. That's, yeah, I think that's that fight or flight that you get. And right. it's, it's the most primitive part of your brain is the, the bit that controls that. Yeah. Um, and it obviously knows what it's doing because <laughs> any other move and that probably would have been the end of me. Um, yeah. That was, the, that was my only option, I suppose. Yeah. Just like you're saying, though, studying the shark is there's a lot to learn and it's a fascinating species. Yeah. The human is a fascinating species by knowing that you're in that scenario and these are the actions that instinctively react. Definitely. Um, the other detail that's really interesting to me for you specifically, and I haven't heard this from a lot of other survivor stories, is your clarity um, and like how lucid you are throughout the experience and that time is warping and like you're kind of, you look down, shark's on your leg and you're like, huh, why at this beach? <laughs> you know, which is kind of a superficial response. But then on the other hand, having these really profound meaningful experiences where you're on the ketamine and you're actually foreseeing the future um that's interesting to explore as well scientists and doctors would have to do that research but the fact that you kind of have clearly a shark attack is going to be a profound life-changing experience but the variety of ways that it's life-changing for you are really kind of um different than I would expect them to be. I would expect them to be maybe super traumatic and then you re-examine your entire life and put things into priority that you didn't have before, which you've probably done as well. But just those details of like finding a higher plane of consciousness through the experience in the moment of the experience with no need to go back and reflect on it. Just like instinctively, it shifts your chemistry and your understanding of reality and all that stuff. Those things are what's fascinating to me. Yeah. And maybe unique to you. Because, again, I haven't heard a lot of those things from other survivor stories. Well, I think that's the one of the most interesting things that I find out of it too is, uh, and this is trauma in general, um, not just shark attacks, but um, when, when people go through trauma, basically that changes their, their brains and, and how it works. And that might be in the moment that it happens, um, or it might be as they reflect on it further down, the um, down I suppose, you know, 12 months later or... Or, or even longer um, and you get people that have been through trauma that can get depression from a PTSD yeah. um, you can get people that um, despite only like having a, not only having a physical injury to worry about then their their brain isn't dealing with it either um, and that's something that really fascinates me is how people can go through these things and come out of it in so many different ways with different perspectives um, something I'd, I'd love to know more about is why that happens like I said yeah. it's, it's probably more something for the scientists to, to figure out but um, I think that's really intriguing um, and one of again one of the, the cases why humans are so interesting in in that that situation is that we can all deal with it in different ways um, some of them are positive some of them might be negative but yeah. um yeah, I, th I think I was definitely lucky to be able to gain that perspective early on because yeah. um, that set me up for the next sort of you know, six months, 12 months, three years to where I am now. Did you do any therapy, any sort of um, mental, emotional therapy? Um, no, I, like I said earlier, I think I'd rather be on my side than my family's side or, yeah. or my friend's side. One of the things that really touches me still is when I talk to people and they can recall where they were or what they were doing when they got the news. Like that, that for me is like, a, all I had to do was lay there. Right. <laughs> like I didn't do much, but for, for them to get that information and then have to react to it and, um, 
and I suppose they, they're so helpless as well. Um, I think that that side of things is what really gets gets me, I suppose, feeling emotionally is, um, yeah, just just being on that side of things rather than than where I was is um, is a lot more difficult. Absolutely, yeah. Um, what's your outlook on surfing and life? What are your goals moving forward? Um, trying to enjoy it as much as possible. Um, like you said, a lot of people do that evaluation of life, and for me it's, it's made me realise how precious it is and how quickly things can change. Um, so trying to enjoy pretty much any day I have that I can breathe and still walk around on my leg that's in one piece. Um, trying to surf as, as much as possible is obviously a huge part of it, something that I almost lost permanently, but I still am, am able to do. Um, so trying to be as thankful as I can about that and, and making the most of it. Competitively, I'd, I'd like to get back into perhaps doing the QS when I feel confident with where my um, sort of surfing is at and my body and strength, which, as I said, is still improving. It's something I'm still working on every single day. Um, and then as far as life in general, um, my good friend Nick... Um, who I went surfing with again for the first time. Um, he came to me a couple months ago and said, let's paddle the Molokai. So we're going to try and do that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, which should be interesting for me, only having basically one of the important paddling muscles um, being the lat. Um, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do at the moment. Try, still a, a super rookie at it, trying to just get out in the water and have a bit of fun on it at the moment. But um, going to try and try and aim for that at some point in the next two years which is a prone paddle yes endurance race essentially yeah. but you've got wesberg in your corner yeah wes is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to stuff like that yeah um and and a lot of things i enjoy talking to wes he's got a good perspective on on a lot of things he's got a positive perspective on a lot of things too yeah that's cute. it and, and an interesting thing about wes is um he actually injured himself at pretty much the same time as what i did um, and it took us both a similar amount of time to kind of get back back in the water. He um, broke his neck. Yeah, he broke his neck surfing. Um, and again, it's it's two two different different injuries that had a similar outcome where we both came out pretty positive. Whereas, um, you know, he, he could have come out of that completely different and, yeah. and all down on you know why why did I have to you know, break my neck surfing? And it's one of the things that you see a lot of the times people kind of blame the incident rather than stepping up and trying to make life better afterwards yeah well this has been an unbelievably uh, interesting story thank you for sharing worries loved it there's nothing to do here so I'm just Thank you so much for taking time to share your incredible story. And uh, really, I think there's tremendous insights here to be gleaned for everybody listening in a lot of different aspects of their life. You can find everything that Brett and I discussed on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I'll also link to his Instagram account so you can follow him. 
And I'll also do that on our Instagram, at Surf Splendor. That's a great way to share this show with friends. Either send it, DM it to them, or uh, just tag them in a post or something like that. But that kind of organic growth of you telling somebody else about the show, we are solely reliant upon that. We don't do any advertising. We just uh, kind of believe in the quality of the content here and believe that if you enjoy it, then at least one of your friends would enjoy it. So we could double our show's growth next week if every listener just shared it with one friend. So thank you for doing that. And I will keep pumping out the content on my end. Lots more to come. And again, we'll be back on schedule next week with Spit and the Grit. So enjoy the rest of your week. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.